several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly grape encounter And I have a show and a half for you today Because you know what Grape Encounters is all about, folks? It's all about how to have a great time with your wine So we're going to just get completely off tasting notes today We're not going to talk about varietals very much today We're going to talk about what makes wine worth drinking And that is the environment that we pair with it And thank goodness It is the time of year that Wine Enthusiast Magazine comes out with their top 10 wine destinations in the world. My home turf made it. I knew it would happen. You know, I I made a good call three years ago when I said I'm moving to a wine country and I picked the central coast of California to help me gloat today. Susan Castrava, she is the executive editor of Wine Enthusiast Magazine. We are talking big kahuna. She is actually wearing a crown right at the moment. At least that's what they tell me. Welcome, Susan. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you on. I I have not had you on the show before, and this is really an honor. I'm very glad we're correcting that. (laughs) Although we had your two boys, Mike and Jeff, on, they were hysterical. The world wine guys. Yeah, absolutely. These are two guys that travel. I, I don't know how they've been able to do this. I think they've cloned themselves. They travel most of the year and are pretty tireless, so... Speaking of travel. You know what I don't like about them, though? i got to be honest. They're always really well-pressed. They get up in the morning. You know, the rest of us on the on the trip are all rumpled because we've been putting clothes in and out and in and out of suitcases. Those guys are just crisp. I think they got a personal valet that they're hiding from us. It's possible. I don't think you can roll out of bed and look like that. So there's something happening. <laughs> anyway, we talked about the book Red Wine last week, and what a great book that is. I love this list that comes out every year. This is just fantastic. I was really, really pleased, of course, to have my home turf on. And we're going to be talking to one of your other editors who's here, right here on the Central Coast. He's coming into the studio. And we're going to talk about why we love the Central Coast of California, which was one of the 10. Before we even get into these destinations, and, and by the way, I should say, this is the time to plan your trip right now. Everything's quiet and slow, percolating under the surface in the wine business. So this is when you book. I really want to get into how Wine Enthusiast Magazine goes about narrowing down the, I mean, literally thousands upon thousands of places that could go on this list that aren't on the list. And there are some real shockers and surprises this year. So what's the process? The process, you're right. It's a challenge because there are so many amazing areas making wine that are also great for travelers. And 
and it's growing every year. It's a great thing, but it makes it more difficult to actually choose 10. So, you know, there are a variety of, of approaches that we take. I mean, one is all of the editors travel the world. Some of them are based in Europe, overseas. We meet in the summer usually, and we all bring our nominations uh, to a, a group discussion and say, okay, this is an area that either I've been to recently that is really showing promise, has that perfect balance of great wine, great restaurants, interesting outdoor activities, culture. It's a lot. You know, we're asking a lot of these regions, but also this maybe it is up and coming. It's affordable. It's not known to everyone. So we balance those those things out. We balance geography out. We want to make sure that we're hitting all different corners of the globe and also just different types of experiences, whether you're an adventure traveler, whether you like something a little more luxurious. I think there's something for everybody on this list. So timeliness, I will say, is a big part of it, which is where do we think you should be going right now? Is it big this year? Is something interesting happening there? And then we just then we just hash it out. <laughs> when you're picking a location, though, like a specific city, let's say, or region, mm-hmm. in some cases, I would say just looking at the list, and I would say that, you know, some of these places don't have grapes right there, like Hong Kong, as an example. Uh, you, know, you don't see a lot of vineyards in downtown Hong Kong. Well, that was a bit of a departure for us because it, initially when we launched this list, I think it's been five or six years now, it was only wine regions. It was only, where can I go to travel, be among the, the vines, and have these experiences? And we realized what's happening is some of these cities, you know, like Melbourne, like Hong Kong, they really have this very comprehensive, very rich wine culture within them and we felt like we were really limiting people's experiences by only technically sending them to a place where the vines are growing. So it's a mixture now and becoming more and more of a mixture as wines, as cities in the, in the world become more wine focused. So how has that been received by the readers? As far as choosing the cities on these lists, we try to choose cities that we feel people you know, have a chance of going to either for business right. or pleasure or maybe they have a long layover. I mean, these are all places that you know we feel people would be going to, and we're hoping to give them something else to do there while while visiting. So how hard is it when you have places like Napa and Sonoma? They are so uber fantastic that, yeah. you know, they could easily be on the list every single year. You want to share the, the joy, and I can understand that, but... Is it hard to eliminate a place like Napa, a place like Bordeaux, you know, places that are so super fantastic that they should always be on the short list of anybody's travel plans, but you still only got 10 slots. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we, I think at some point, well, it'll it'll depend on how much this culture continues to grow, which I think it will keep growing. We may revisit some of the, the past sort of winners of the on these lists. I mean, we've done Sonoma, Napa, Bordeaux, uh, uh, Tuscany, all of these places. Of course, no question, these are very famous, very well-known wine destinations that we really feel strongly about. But we also feel like there's just such a, a wave of new, really interesting wine destinations coming onto the market that we feel we really need to give them some exposure. And it's hard because we can't have everyone on the list every year, but there are very good reasons for why people in a specific year are on there. And, uh, you know, again, I'm sure we will revisit Sonoma again and Napa and all, and, and all of those areas as well. So what happens when it comes time to name the wine country of the year? Does it ever come from this list or 
is it a separate item? Yeah, I mean, sometimes it does. Obviously, if something, if there's a wine region that is just absolutely, this is their year, they've had some really interesting, you know, projects they're working on, just a, a huge increase in either infrastructure or activities, or of course, uh, they could be considered for both. If it's their year, it's their year. But, you know, we do try to spread the love a bit between all the lists that we do and the awards that we do. And again, thankfully, there's so many places that are warranted to talk about in the world that it, we don't really run out of options and, and, you know, legitimate options. So who's in the room at Wine Enthusiast Magazine? I do want to reiterate that I'm talking to Susan Castrava. She is the executive editor of Wine Enthusiast Magazine, Big Kahuna, as we like to say here. Who gets to go into the room and, and throw ideas into the pot? Our editorial team. So it's every all of our staff editors as well as our contributing editorial team. So you mentioned Mike and Jeff, our favorites there. They're in the room. Myself, our managing editors. And, you know, again, all of those contributing editors who have those tasting beats in Australia, in South America, etc. All of them are in the room together. We all bring those and we discuss them. We go through them together. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, if there's a big debate over a few of them, you know, I guess the big kahuna myself, <laughs> I'm able to make some certain decisions, but it's a pretty democratic approach. And thankfully, you know, our team of editors really understands what we're trying to achieve with this package. And then it's just a matter of, you know, kind of making final decisions on the 10 for that year. Do, do we get any of this? Are you kidding? I, oh, wouldn't, sure. I wouldn't go there. Are you nuts? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say thankfully we haven't had any real sort of shock or missteps in, in the proposals that, like I said, people are pretty clear on what we're trying to achieve with it, but they're heated debates. And, yeah. and look, I mean, you have to remember, you know, we have a certain criteria of sort of checklist items that each of these destinations needs to have, obviously. But there's also personal opinion, and that's why we want to mix it up a little bit within the list. We have experiences that are, even though they have certain checklists, they're pretty different because everyone has their own idea of what a great trip is and what it will include. And, and for one person, maybe, again, a very urban environment, a Hong Kong experience. For someone else, it may be the Austrian, you know, something very remote in the mountains. And so that's where we get the debate with the editors as if they have an inclination. You know, they have different personalities. They have different things that they, they think would be fabulous for a trip, and, and those are usually pretty fun conversations. No no violence or anything like that. No glasses thrown yet. <laughs> Get acrylic glasses all the same. Anyway, yeah, Susan, <laughs> hang on just one second. We're going to come right back after a little quick break here, and then we're going to dive into this list. This is, this is a cool list. We'll be back with uh, Susan Castrava. She is the executive editor of Wine Enthusiast Magazine, and um, you can uh, learn more. Well, you know what? You should just subscribe to the magazine online. But you really want it on your coffee table. That's the thing. It's so beautiful. One day I'm going to be on the cover, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back with more Grape Encounters after this. The best way to avoid spitting wine is to avoid wines unworthy of being swallowed. David will be right back in a spit second. Oops, my bad. Make that split second. that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the Central Coast wine country of California. We can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels, introduce you to some epic wines in person, 
help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio. Okay, that last one was a, a stretch. Here's David. Well, I have to admit, the best thing that I get to do in my job is to roam the earth and find great places to tell you that you have to go visit. But you, frankly, I'm just one man. What can one man do when you're up against a team like Wine Enthusiast Magazine has, where they've got editors all over the planet doing this? I really love Wine Enthusiast, and I, I must say, I get ideas from Wine Enthusiast all the time. I read it, and I'm so so glad to have on the show with me today Susan Castrava. She is the executive editor of Wine Enthusiast Magazine, and uh, they just came out with their top 10 wine destinations for 2018. Places to get away and have a great time that have wine themes very closely attached to that destination. Let's start with Melbourne, Australia. Okay. A very interesting choice. And Australia making a lot of great wines that unfortunately the best don't necessarily always come here. And so right. if you really want to drink great Australian wines, you might want to go there. Uh, let's talk about that. Melbourne as a city, just culturally, is really rich. Just culture, history, style, fashion, all these things. I think it's a, it's a great city to visit regardless. But I also think it's one of those cities that has become more and more wine-focused and, and, and really sort of wine, speaking of rich, wine-rich. With great restaurants, obviously, you know, you've got small regions in Victoria uh, that are crafting cool climate, elegant wines, which you can find in this area. And obviously those wines are being brought to the great restaurants and wine bars of, of Melbourne. So I think, you know, for us, it was just, it was kind of a, a no brainer. And I, we actually, you know, full disclosure, our creative director on the digital team is from Melbourne. So uh, she firsthand could talk to us a little bit about uh, what's happening over there. And just in her, even her going back and forth since living in the U.S., She's talked a lot about what's happening in the food and wine world. So, and likewise, right under Australia, Melbourne, is Hong Kong, which, right. which I, a city I love. And definitely, enthusiasm for wine in China is just, it is so beyond on fire. It's an inferno right now. It really is, yeah. And I think I think Hong Kong, you know, reflects the seriousness and sort of just the, the knowledge that people in uh, China have for wine, the people in the industry. I mean, they really really uh, take it very seriously and they really want to impart that knowledge to the consumer. So there's a lot of great experiences to have in Hong Kong's beautiful city, has that incredible cuisine, great diverse wine lists at the restaurant. So that was something that I, I felt strongly about. Have you had a chance to try any of the wines that are being made in China now? I wish I could say I had tried more of them because I think I should. To be honest, the traveling I was doing in China maybe four years ago, I was tasting a lot more of, of kind of old world French wines and I think that's changing now if I were to go back. So I don't know. Have you? I haven't. And I'm. Yeah. it's amazing to me. I know they're working very, very hard at those wines. I'm chomping at the bit for the opportunity to taste those wines. Any trip to China, I think, should include trying to hunt down some domestic wines there because Chinese, they're capable of getting it right. They really are. Yeah, no question. And, and we do mention in, in our wine section, the Hong Kong section, uh, Grace Vineyard, which is one of the better known wineries that's sort of coming out of China, better known in, in and high quality. So that's something to seek out on restaurant lists. And I think they're pretty prevalent in Hong Kong. So so let's go from the metropolitan areas to a place that one of my favorite places on earth, just such a gorgeous island. It's Corsica. What a beautiful place. 
and great wines from that area. It couldn't be more opposite of the last two destinations we talked about. Yeah, I mean, here you're really looking for something that's a little bit more about beautiful scenery, feels remote, you know, have that slower pace of that sort of that Mediterranean pace and experience. So it's one of those places that I think is a no-brainer visually and as far as weather and as far as just overall experience for a traveler. But obviously, you're also talking about a wine region and wine wine industry that's growing. What wines should people be looking for from Corsica? I mean, if they're in a big wine shop, what, what, what varietals? There are a lot of, they have 30 indigenous grapes, I believe, if I'm if I'm correct. And, and our, uh, you know, we have editors who are a little more versed on the actual varieties than I am. But we talk about Niluccio, and this is where I my pronunciation will be a difficult. Shakarello. Uh, so this is where I need some help. That's okay. Um, yeah, it's you great. know, I I think these are you know I think they're Sangiovese style red wines yeah. um, generally that that people know Corsica for. I mean, there are white wines as well. I think they're Vermentino based wines, Muscat as well. You know, I would say those are kind of your better bats for Corsican wine as far as consistency and style. Again, there are thirty different grapes being grown that are indigenous on Corsica, so there's a lot of experimentation. You can be on Corsica. By the way, and you'd swear you're in California yeah. in, in some spots, and the wines are very approachable and very reasonable, mm-hmm. ridiculously right. reasonable. I don't know how much surcharge they get uh, uh, stacked on top of them when they get here to the U.S., but usually they're they're very very inexpensive. All right, let's uh, b- bump uh, up to Austria because uh, that was one of the really interesting choices, and that I know nothing about. We have an editor who covers Austria for us, Anne Krebel, who is really a, a huge huge fan of Austrian wine. I think Austrian wines in general have really shown to be excellent and they're becoming more popular. So Styria, this area is just, I mean, it is called Austria's green heart and it's in the mountains between Vienna and the Slovenian border. You know, you're looking there, you're looking at uh, light and aromatic white wines are kind of their focus. So Sauvignon Blanc is is one of the styles of wine that they're really excellent in making. They also do something called Schilcher, I think that's the correct pronunciation, which is a rosé, sort of a tart. Rosé, and they do Chardonnay as well. They've got some really interesting wines, and then, of course, this is one of those places as far as other things to do. So you're not tasting wine all day. You're not eating all day. You can cycle. You can climb. You can do a lot. So, What kind of accommodations could you expect to find there? It's, I'm, I'm guessing quaint, right? Yeah, I mean, they do have more modern accommodations. I'd say probably, you know, the sort of in-style accommodations are really what you're going to get, the sort of a wine garden hotel. They do have spa resorts in those regions. And then we mentioned one called the Schlossberg Hotel, which is in the, the capital of Styria. And that's a little bit more luxurious and a little more modern. They have an art theme. So actually, you can find pretty much anything that you want. It just depends on the experience that you're looking for. Okay, perfect. Let's take a break. We've got just a few more to go through, and we will get through it. Then we're going to, after you leave us, we're going to have Matt Ketman. And he's coming into the studio to talk about my favorite place, which is the San Luis Obispo Coast, California wine country. How cool is that? It's nice to be included. I'll tell you that. And we'll be back right after this. We're talking to Susan Castrava. She is the executive editor of Wine Enthusiast Magazine. And uh, we're running down the top 10 wine getaways of 2018. I think this is a great, great, great list. I I don't think you could go wrong with anything on this list. We'll be back in just a moment.
Remember, as much as you may love wine, it is not the answer to your problems. Unless the problem is you're out of wine. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. You don't have a problem with that, do you? Winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Back with Grape Encounters Radio. Man, you know what? This is the absolute best time of the year. If you're planning on going into wine country, this is the time to do the planning right now. Wine Enthusiast Magazine does an amazing job at the beginning of the year coming out with their directory of what they consider to be the top 10 wine travel getaways of 2018. And I wouldn't be shy about going back and looking at prior year lists. You can you can certainly find them online and look at some of those destinations too because they can't cover everything when you're trying to cut it down to 10. Susan Castraba is the executive editor of Wine Enthusiast Magazine and she's on the line with me and offering us a wealth of information we talked about uh, four or five uh, destinations in the last segment. But, Susan, we're going to get into some really interesting stuff now. Let's go to Grand Valley, Colorado. Now, who expects to see that on a wine list? Come on. <laughs> That's goofy. Yeah, we like to surprise people. We surprise. always have a few sort of shockers. And I think, you know, Colorado was a surprise. People kind of raise their eyebrows. And I think, you know, I think Grand Valley as a region, as far as a wine region, is up and coming. And they're making some really nice red wines, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Malbec, Merlot. And, uh, you know, they are also offer these incredible outdoor activities. So, yeah, it's, it, was, it was a surprise, but I think definitely a fun addition this year. Strange addition. I don't know. <laughs> I, you, you know, I can tell you the amount of Colorado wine that I've consumed is exactly zero. I just don't, yeah. I don't see them at the, the trade events or anything. They're just invisible, Where whereas on the other hand, little Idaho is out there going nuts promoting those Idaho wines, which are frankly quite delicious. Colorado's making wine. Arizona's making some delicious wines. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to have to start paying closer attention. And also, you know, when you think about the fact that Colorado is in general cooler climate than California, we only have to wait a, a couple of years before they're making everything we're making with uh, global warming. So... <laughs> It's a good point, you know. It's good to keep an eye on some of these areas and wonder where we'll be with them in about five, ten years. So, but yeah, I mean, I would agree completely. You know, Colorado Grand Valley is definitely something you should take a look. I'm going to drink some of that some of that delicious Norway Syrah. That's going to be good. <laughs> Let's jump over to Cape Town, South Africa. South Africa definitely doesn't get its fair share of attention, and Cape Town's a city that I am dying to go to. I have not been there. Have you been? I have. I've been. To- I've been lucky enough to travel to South Africa maybe four or five times in my life, and really one of my favorite places to visit in the world. Cape Town as a city is, I I don't know that you'll find many cities that have the natural beauty of Cape Town. So beyond just being stunning as far as location, um, you know, an environment, they have a really interesting culture, obviously very rich, uh, diverse culture in in cuisine, and the wines are fabulous. You're really close to Cape, or you're really close to Stellenbosch and wine country, 
to kind of get the best of everything. You're going to find, especially their reds, to be much different than the reds you're used to drinking. And I think it's more wine making techniques. Some people love it. Some people don't. The whites uh, are, are crisp and delicious, and I'm a big fan of the whites especially. And the reds, I'm I, I, I'm a little fussy about. I do think that there's some tremendous wines that are coming out of there, but you got to, it's a matter of taste. Would you agree? I would. I mean, I think it depends on the winemaking style too. So, you know, yeah. within every category, you have some that are considered to be more traditional and those are, have a little bit more of that, that sort of earthy, smoky flavor yes, that you're exactly, talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Some of them are more fr- fruit driven. So you can actually find a lot within the South Africa category now, but sure, there are some styles that, you know, they're great with some grilled meats and, and, uh, you know, some biltong, which is their jerky. All of those make sense with those smoky reds, but uh, I guess it's just a matter of taste, as you said. I think that's a very good point is those are food wines. All right, mm-hmm. let's uh, jump down to the Sherry Triangle in Spain. Tell me, tell me what you can about Sherry Triangle. There's just so much history. You're talking about thousands of years of, of winemaking history in this in this region. Exotic travel, amazing weather, sunny, beautiful, and very culturally diverse history. You've got it all here. But you've got to get into the right frame of mind when you're there and, and really enjoy. You remember you're on a different kind of wine adventure when you're going after Sherry or, as I said, Madeira is a great place to go as well. Get into that frame of mind and, and and you will have the experience of a lifetime. And Sherry's making, Sherry's making a big comeback right now, right? Yeah, it is. It's. I think it, it you know, for so long it was just considered sort of an outdated trend and, and it's just such a delicious thing to drink and, and there's such great uh, tradition again in the making of Sherry and uh, yeah, I'm really happy to see that, that people are picking it up again. I think a lot of younger drinkers are getting into it, which is, is really cool. Let's go to my favorite place on earth, Tuscany. I am the only guy I know that's watched Under the Tuscan Sun eight times. It's a great movie. I love it's, it. It's a chick flick, you know, <laughs> but I but I just watch that. And I go, I'm going to do that someday. I'm just going to get an old broken down place and rebuild it. But uh, specifically, you have, it's it's Val d'Orcia, right? The Val d'Orcia, yes. yeah. D'Orcia, yeah. So, yeah. Tuscany's big, and, you know, within these these big, really wonderful wine regions, you have these sort of sub-region, sub-areas, and, and Val d'Orcia, it is one that we wanted to focus a little more closely on. So it's a it's UNESCO World Heritage Site, hallmark amazing sort of characteristics of what we think of when we think of beautiful Italy with the cypress trees and the olive groves, vineyards. It's really quintessential. The wines are excellent. So that's this is where Brunello di Montalcino is made. Can't go wrong. I've, I've spent time in this region. I love the winemakers there and uh, yes. it's just incredibly romantic. Yeah, I, I've been there many times and I, I just keep going back and I, I, I always say in the last chapter of my life, I'm moving into Tuscany, that's where my heart calls me. It's one of the most breathtaking and I don't know, it, it, it sucks you in in a way very few places can. That's all I can say. You could pretty much send anyone in the world to this region and be very shocked if they didn't enjoy it. It's just, it's a no-brainer destination in my opinion. So. And, and again, the wines are going to be cheap there too. You're going to find that you can buy a bottle of wine there for a few bucks. That's going to be terrific. And you can pretty well t- 
trust most of these wines because the family-made wines, they're made well. We got time for one more. I saved the oddest one, I think, for last, at least okay. from the wine enthusiast standpoint. And I don't mean the magazine, I mean the people. And that's Southern Coast Uruguay. Uruguay, the wines, if it's not based red wines, really delicious white wines, those are becoming more and more available on the market. But this part of Uruguay is also really known for its beaches, its cuisine. It's a huge favorite of our Spanish, our uh, South America editor, Michael Schachner. He's been going to this region and excited about it for some time. So I've been hearing about this for a while before we felt it was ready to be on this list. But I still think it's kind of an unknown discovery type driven place. And I think for people who are adventurous yeah. travelers and like to be the first ones to kind of uh, explore something, this is a really great choice. And we're talking Tanat there. Yes, Tanat is really what the, the main uh, sort of variety, that flagship variety that they produce. And they do Sauvignon Blanc, they do Albarino, they do Riesling, you know, as far as the, the whites. Yeah. But Tanat is really the, their, their sort of calling card for sure. We have a brick and mortar wine shop and tasting room just for our listeners to come and enjoy the things that we talk about on the air. And it was just a way we could connect better with them. One of the wines that consistently, when we bring it in, it just blows off the shelves so fast is Tanat. It is a real major up-and-comer. Not that it hasn't been around forever. It's really going to be more and more popular all the time. We're seeing more and more Tanat grapes being planted in places like California. You're going to see more, and it's a not a hard grape to grow, and it's a easy grape to get great results from, and I think we're going to see Tanat. I'm, tonight, I'm having Tanat. That's what I'm saying. There you go. All right. <laughs> hey, Susan, what a pleasure to have you on. Gosh, you you covered it, too, and we didn't even have to rush. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I do want to mention before I go, Please. I want to talk a little bit about something exciting that's happening here, and it does include travel. It includes wine. It includes spirits. Uh, we have a podcast at Wine Enthusiast, which uh, we've just relaunched, and uh, I would love for your listeners to tune in and, and learn a little bit more about Certainly. lifestyle of wine from us at winemag.com. And what we will do is we will uh, provide a link for our listeners to tune in to that podcast. And that's as simple as simple as that. And if you want somebody else uh, to listen to this show that you think might benefit from this, somebody who's going on a wine trip or whatever, um, you can just simply send them to grapeencounters.com and we'll have it up on the website there. You can catch it on uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, you know, all the you know, usual places. All right. Now we're going to bring in uh, Matt Ketman is coming in. He's one of your top editors. He's out here on the West Coast. He's a he's a fun guy. And uh, we're going to end it with my hometown, basically, or my home turf, I should say, because it's bigger than just the town. And that is the San Luis Obispo coast of California. Really proud to be on that list. Susan, thanks so much for being on. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope everyone enjoys their travels this year. All right. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. At no time were any animals harmed during the making of today's show. However, countless grapes were crushed and mutilated. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after these important messages. Good 
Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson. And we are back with Grape Encounters Radio. And now, boy, am I happy to have on somebody. I was looking forward to meeting this guy. He is also with Wine Enthusiast Magazine, but he happens to be from my neck of the woods. It is Matt Ketman, the contributing editor to Wine Enthusiast Magazine. And uh, he hails from, well, you're part of the Central Coast. What am I talking about? In Santa Barbara. That's right. We're the southern end of the Central Coast, I like to say. and, And by the way, I, you know, on a serious note, you guys have been hit so hard down there, and I really feel for everybody down there. I, I, yeah. You can't be from any place in the United States and not know what's happened in Santa Barbara. Yeah, so. it's been a it's been a rough month with the fires and now the mudslides, and uh, yeah, we need your uh, your thoughts, I guess. So uh, yeah. yeah, more than that, and shovels too right and now. Shovels. On a happier note, you wrote a uh, really nice piece about the Central Coast. What area were you really referring to? Because we talk about the Central Coast, you know, it's kind of segregated into smaller subsets. This is the, one of the top 10 travel destinations for the magazine this year. And I, and I chose and advocated for the San Luis Obispo coastline. I mean, it's not to exclude Paso by any means. And I think that the, the slow coast, if, if you're thinking of, you know, the Pismo area all the way up to Cayucas and Cambria, there's a lot to do there. And this is a travel related issue. And so there's just so much to do beyond the wine. I mean, I think the wine on the slow coast is great. And there's also a movement right now to establish the Slow Coast Appalachian, which I wrote about a couple years ago as well. And so I thought it was timely to kind of pump the Slow Coast and, and shed some light on Pismo and Edna Valley and, and a lot of the uh, coastal stuff you can do in Morro Bay and all the hotels on the coast there. And so um, that's really kind of the, the region. And So why, first of all, this region? I mean, how do, first of all, how do you go about picking the regions? Because there's so many regions in the world, right? And right. we're talking about worldwide. This is worldwide, yeah. Do you try to rotate it around? I mean, could a region win year after year? I mean, I don't, I don't think that's possible. I don't make the final decisions, in all honesty. But with everything we do at the magazine, whether it's the top 100 or seller selections or, or travel issues like this, it's really looking at how do we give a little love around the globe. But it's also about where is hot right now and where should you be going? And, and they rely on experts, I guess, such as myself to, to say, hey, if I was going to spend a weekend right now, I'd go post up in, in Pismo. I'd go do some wine tasting at the Valley. I'd go kayak Morro Bay. And if I wanted to go hit Paso too, I, I would. So really about looking at, at cool regions and, and explaining to our readers, you know, where should they spend their time and, the, and their money? So not so long ago, if somebody went to Vegas, you couldn't bring your kids. It was sort of a couples only, gamblers only kind of a thing. Right. Vegas, I think, really exploded when they became more inclusive so that families could do more things. Is the same thing happening in the wine industry where, you know, they're trying, I mean, wineries seem to be more family friendly in these areas. It seems like they're working very hard to give people more reasons to come. I very much believe that. The, believe that's the case. I mean, I am, I'm biased. I'm, I'm the father of two young kids, and so it's hard to go places when you can't bring your kids around. And, yeah. and I think a lot of uh, you know the up and coming wine crowd are people in their 30s and 40s that, that have kids, and they and they want a full experience too. And I think that the full experience aspect goes beyond just being able to bring kids places. I, I think in a very great way, our culture has gotten much more wine educated. But the tasting room experience itself, you know, as you get educated and visit so many tasting rooms, you don't want to do that all day every day, you know. And as much as I love doing that and a lot of people love doing that, you know, for a day or two, you know, what are you going to do on day three or even day two and having a more well-rounded experience, whether that's even, it still can be agriculture related. I mean, go to the the Avila farm is a great place to still be involved in agriculture. 
counterculture, but do something slightly different. You know, just like if you're going to Napa, there's a pretty good chance you're going to slip over to Sonoma. If you're right. coming to the slow coast, totally. there's a pretty good chance you're going to slip over to Paso. Of course, yeah. Especially uh, I, if you're into wine you, and you came so close, you would definitely want to pop up and, and hit hit a spot or two no matter what. So, know? So what do you love that's not wine related about the slow coast? The slow coast has probably some of the most untouched stretches of coastline where you can just go walk on the beach and beachcomb uh, and not even see anybody else, you know, especially if you get north and you go on the San Simeon coastline. I mean, there's just some epic spots up there. Obviously, you know, Big Sur is in Monterey County, but you're getting the kind of southern end of Big Sur up there. You can go see elephant seals. I mean, I think the nature opportunities here are, are just kind of unbound. What, what are some of the standout wines that you can talk about to a national audience? Because right. I'd love to talk about wines that people can get can actually get all over the country yeah and so well if you're, if you're looking at edna valley you know chamisol has a pretty good reach i believe they make some wines that that are higher production i mean they have great pinot great shard they have a stainless chardonnay that you know really approachable to people of, of all kind of wine tastes I, I had it recently and i agree with you that's, one, that's one of my favorite yeah. stainless chardonnays period well in the most recent vintage that i've tasted they really kind of nailed it yeah. as well and then anything you know that the niven family is doing so they have bailiana they have tangent and they have zocker wines that are, you know, they're doing some really kind of crazy aromatic white wines like Gruner Veltliner and Gewürztraminer and things like that, Pinot Gris. And those are nationally distributed and those are really cool. They, they capture the kind of the freshness of the coast. They're just really fun wines and they're not expensive either, which is, which is great. And let's not forget the bubbles they make. Yeah. And the bubbles they make are great. The, and their I bubbles think- are great. I mean, they've got a world-class winemaker over there who just does an, an amazing job. And then I, I was thinking yeah. about, about Brian Talley, Talley, yeah, Talley Vineyards. Yeah. yeah, those, I mean, those are, I, I can say, I, from the whole Central Coast, consistently, if not the top, right around the top Chardonnays that I taste. Their Pinots are lovely as well. You know, and the Pinots kind of tread that really lighter side, so they're very food-friendly. And, and, and Brian Talley and, and Eric Johnson, the winemaker, are just really great guys and fun to hang around with, too. So Brian Talley is one of the nicest men you will ever meet. And, and his, uh, he has that book, too, that just came out. He came out with this cookbook that is yeah. just extraordinary. We went to the party last year when he released the book, and gosh, it was a lot of fun, and the book is fabulous. Anything else that we have skipped over here, you know, food-wise, by the way, what I love about the Slow Coast is the fact that there's great dining without sort of L.A. or New York pricing. And, I mean, you can't talk about the Slow Coast right now without talking about Ember and Brian Collins coming in and, and taking that wood-fired concept and, and making it really the full scene of that restaurant. People are raving about spoon trade these days, too. And then in the article, I actually mentioned Ruddle's Smokehouse, too. They smoke fish, and so you get these, like, really rich, savory fish tacos, and they're just, they're pretty phenomenal. And it's, you know, it's dirt cheap, really. You know, it's it's not expensive at all. And so you're, you're on the beach when you're eating it, too. Hey, Matt, I really appreciate you coming by. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. It's been a, a real pleasure having you in the studio. Uh, Matt Ketman, the contributing editor to Wine Enthusiast magazine. Uh, check his article out on the Slow Coast Wine Region. It really gives you some great insights into the area that I'm at least adjacent to. Not exactly. Yeah, this is the Slow Coast. I'm saying we're the Slow Coast. What the <laughs> heck? And, and Anyway, check the article out. It's a, a great article, and uh, just follow him on Wine Enthusiast Magazine, but uh, don't let him know you're right behind him. Matt, <laughs> thanks a bunch. Come yeah, on, my, come my on again soon, okay? Yeah, I hope to be back soon. You never know what part of the country or the world the Grape Encounter's microphones will take you to. Don't miss a single experience. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition. 